It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining the program. I pray it benefits you. I've been discussing Paul's description of unredeemed man in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. In these verses, the apostle summarizes in a most perfect manner found in Scripture concerning the view, the biblical doctrine of humanity caught in the depths of sin. We cannot measure the greatness of God's power unless we realize the depth of which God had to raise us and then to consider the height to which he has taken us. As we measure the depth and the height, we have some conception of the exceeding greatness of God's power. Paul singles out three appalling conditions that prevail about all unredeemed human beings. First, the unredeemed are all dead. Second, the unredeemed are enslaved. And third, the unredeemed are all condemned. Because in their present unredeemed state, they are still under the curse of God's wrath. In the last episode, I addressed points one and two. Unredeemed man is dead and enslaved. Let me review the topic of death briefly. I said there are three types of death in Scripture. One, physical death, the separation of the soul from the body. Two, eternal death, separation from God throughout eternity. And three, spiritual death the separation of the human spirit from God in the present life, as in Ephesians 2, verse 1. Spiritual death is the condition all unredeemed people find themselves in in this life. In God's eyes, anyone devoid of eternal life within is marked as spiritually dead. I approach spiritual death from a different point of view than in my previous exposition. Perhaps the best way of defining death in this context is to say it is the exact opposite, an antithesis of life. So we can understand death by contrasting it with life. Life in the Bible is often described and defined in terms of our relationship to God. And that kind of life is usually identified as eternal life. Consider the words of Jesus in John 17, 1, part B, to verse 3. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, 
that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus is telling us that eternal life is knowing God and Christ. Jesus also said, Most assuredly, I say unto you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. That's found in John 5, verses 24 and 26. Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's in John chapter 8, verse 12. I assume that light of life refers to eternal life. Jesus' disciples said, And the life was manifested in the world, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That's found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. Paul informs us that Christ is the life of the believer in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. He also said, Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Paul is telling us not only what Jesus accomplished, but also he informs us that Jesus is the source of the kind of life that connects us to God the Father. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 makes it more specific. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. At the end of time, those whose names are not written in the book of life will be, quotes, cast into the lake of fire, end quotes. That's found in Revelation 20, verse 15. But those whose names appear there in Revelation 21, verse 27, will be allowed to enter the new Jerusalem. In John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is speaking metaphorically. Bread as a symbol of sustenance and satisfaction occurs throughout the Bible. Jesus certainly means that the life that he gives, he maintains and sustains. That surely means eternal life. Barley bread provides daily needs for calories and carbohydrates for physical life, the bread of life meets the needs of the heart and soul. In John chapter 10, part B of verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and more abundantly. 
Eternal life is unlikely to have degrees of abundance. So here Jesus is referring to physical life. So now let's return to the discussion of the spiritual death. The spiritual death in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 is the opposite of eternal life. We also know that God is the author of life. All one has to do is consult Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And we know that Jesus is the source of life. Thus, what Paul means in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, is that the unredeemed are separated from God, and thus are spiritually dead, and that implies they have no knowledge of God and Christ. If this condition is not remedied at the end of time, they will be cast into the lake of fire. Paul is also saying the unredeemed person is enslaved by three enslaving forces. These enslaving forces, put in later ecclesiastical terminology, are the world, the flesh, and the devil. These three forces controlled our former pre-Christian existence, and thereby enslaved us, and those still unredeemed are now enslaved by these forces as well. The first enslaving force Paul mentions is the world. World can have various meanings in Scripture. It can mean, one, the universe including the planets, the stars, and the galaxies. Two, the earth, the place where people and animals live on the mountains, the rivers, and the surrounding terrain. Three, humanity in general, the total of all human beings on earth. And four, the fleeting character of riches, pleasures, and the folly of making them occupy the place of central importance in their life. Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's in Matthew 16, verse 26. What does the world mean in this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3? Here it does not mean the physical universe, nor the earth. Rather, we have a fifth meaning, the outlook and the mentality of life apart from God. Paul gives a description of the world in verse 12 of this very chapter 2 of Ephesians. Therefore, remember, Paul says, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul is implying that you are either in Christ or in the world. So being without Christ means you are in the world, and to be in the world means that you are governed by the outlook and the mentality of the world that leaves God out of your life, out of your family, and out of every choice and decision you make. 
Paul makes a similar point regarding the Christian in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because you belong to another realm. You are in Christ. And Jesus told us, my kingdom is not of this world. That's in John 18, verse 36. The Apostle John, making a similar distinction, warns a Christ follower, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. That's in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. That describes the world. John says, in effect, you do not belong to that realm that is totally opposed to God. So do not love the world because that puts you in conflict with what should be your true allegiance. In describing the unredeemed as, quote, following the course of this world in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians, Paul actually uses the Greek word age for the word course. So the sentence literally is according to the age of this world. Thus Paul brings together the two concepts of this age and this world. This age of evil and darkness is in contrast to the age to come, which Jesus introduced. This world, the society organized without reference to God, secularism in other words, is in contrast to God's kingdom. So both words, age and world, express a whole social value system which is alien to God. It permeates, indeed dominates, non-Christian society and holds people in captivity. John Stott says, wherever humans are being dehumanized by political oppression or bureaucratic tyranny, by an outlook that is secular, repudiating God, amoral, repudiating absolutes, or materialistic, glorifying the consumer market, by poverty, hunger, or unemployment, by racial discrimination, or by any form of injustice, there we can detect the subhuman values of this age and this world. Their influence is pervasive. People tend to not have a mind of their own, but surrender to the pop culture of television and the glossy magazines. It is a cultural bondage. We were all the same until Jesus liberated us. I close this session by reminding you to exercise daily walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott. 
a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.